to give the zoo a call right now at two. It's 5.30 in the morning and Mike Reiner is already at work. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Square One here on The Athletic. I would be your congenial host, Mike Reiner. It's been a lot of fun doing Square One so far. Today, though, we're going to get a little sportsy on you because The Athletic is nothing if not sportsy. And they told me, you want to do sports? Do sports. You don't want to do sports? Don't do sports. But you know what? I like sports, and today we're going to do sports. Ken Garrison, the man at the helm for all of these things, is here with us once again. Hi, Ken. Howdy, Mike. Good to be here, and uh, happy it's Cowboy season. Happy it's Cowboy season, indeed. And we are joined by the Athletics' own John Machota, covering the Cowboys, just as he did at the Dallas Morning News for all these years in that fine style with such aplomb, such fashion, and such impartiality. Hi, Johnny. I feel honored to be on the show. I've, I listened to the first one with Robert Wolanski. I'm still catching up on all of them. And uh, yeah, it's uh, this is a high bar here. You know, I've been listening to you for a long time. Well, let's lower that bar. <laughs> let's lower that bar. Um, let's see. Today we're going to do a little Cowboys talk because... DallasCowboys.com put out something that's causing um, a good bit of controversy, at least dialogue, maybe controversy, amongst Cowboy fans everywhere. This is one of those things that people just love. It's a list. And like a great man once told us, people love lists. That's right. They do. Mm. (laughs) And this list is the top 60 Cowboys of all time they are ranked on dallascowboys.com you can find it right there and what i wanted to do with john is to go over some of these in fact let's go over all of them let's start at the back work our way down just offer up general commentary and banter between us on what you have to say and i have to say about all of these guys and we will let kent officiate this so if you boys are ready, let's jump in. Who you got, Kent? All right, yes, Mike. We'll start at number 60, and you and John can interject with humorous and or informative commentary as you see fit. Number 60 on the list, Jim Jeffcoat. Jim Jeffcoat. I don't have any real solid Jim Jeffcoat anecdotes, as I'm sure I will on some of these guys some of which may not be terribly flattering. But the thing I remember most about Jim Jeffcoat is he was never a star, but as far as being a solid guy out there, he was about as solid and dependable as you could get. And I remember he was a real nice guy, too. Good dude. Mm. But he was steady. He was always there, and he held up his end of the bargain most of the time. Any Jim Jeffcoat hot takes? Michelle? No, I think I think that summed it up pretty well. I don't really have a ton to add on that. I, I mean, I remember him as a kid watching him on TV, but I don't remember him like those Cowboys teams when I watched him. I just 
he he was obviously a very good player. I just remember that there were other Cowboys that, you know, kind of stole the spotlight. Whereas maybe if he was on a lesser team, maybe he would have stood out a little bit more to me. But I feel like a lot, a lot of those teams, it was the offensive stars that stood out more. So yeah, not a lot was, to add there. He was never a star, and he didn't do a whole lot to call attention to himself. He just went out and did his job and usually did it pretty well without too many mistakes or too much to call negative attention to himself every week. Absolutely. Number 59 on the list, somebody we should be familiar with. I remember him from back in the day for sure. Bill Bates. Ah, Bill Bates. A rarity because he was primarily a special teams player. That is how he made his bones in this league. That's how he made his way onto the team. He was a safety, a strong safety at a time when that was uh, those things were differentiated upon between strong safety, free safety. He was a strong safety. He was a big hitter, probably too big for his own size, but he was a football player's football player. He loved the game of football. He loved special teams, and he really got the fans riled up when he was in there because they knew that they were going to see him lay somebody out, and quite often they did. He's basically the Jeff Heath of his time, right? Right, Mike? <laughs> um, Jeff Heath is a poor man's version of Bill Bates. <laughs> Um, Bill Bates is actually one of the first football cards I ever got. So uh, that, that's one thing that stands out to me about Bill Bates. Two is that he was almost like a cult hero for just being like this standout special teams player that, again, like being on those 90s Cowboys teams, there's just so many other players that you would point to on, uh, that were just those loaded rosters. But I just remember people would always talk about him, and he, they would, he was always – they'd find a way to talk about him even on the TV coverage. And the other thing that stands out to me about him is that a few months ago, you know, Bob – uh, Sturm and I, we were putting together these lists of like these all-time Cowboys teams. And and I just mentioned like a few of the players like early on on, on Twitter. And like right away, these people are like, Bill Bates better be on one of these teams. It's like, all right, calm yeah. down, relax. Bill Bates will be on one of the teams. Relax, all right? Like he just seemed like a like a hardcore fan favorite, you know, like like just this guy that was like, you know, you better not forget about Bill. So no, I, I, I'm not surprised that he's on this list. He had a huge fan following, and he was the first guy I ever did a player show with on the radio when I was at the okay. Zoo. Nice. So there's that. Yeah, he um, was so good at special teams that the NFL actually added the special team player to the Pro Bowl. Because That's right. Of that was Bates. because of he him. The first one. Yeah. In 1984. Number 58, Leon Lett. Really good player. Remembered mostly for one awful moment. Yeah, for, um, for, for me it's actually two. Like, and he's the nicest guy. He's he's an assistant coach. He's oh, assistant I know, I know, defensive line coach right now. But for me, again, I'm in I'm in Michigan at this time, growing up as a kid watching football on TV, and it's it's the Super Bowl, <laughs> the game against the Bills, where yeah, Don Beebe came up behind, knocked the ball out of his hand, and then it was I don't know if it was the next season or season after that where. It was. I remember because I thought it was so cool that it was actually snowing in Dallas, and there there was snow coming into the stadium, and they're playing Miami. It's you know a, a night game, nationally televised, and it, the game should be over. Like the ball's rolling around the ground on on a, on a blocked. Uh, I think it was a blocked field goal, and then here comes Leon sliding in there, and he and he knocks the ball, and then someone ends up landing on it from Miami, and then Miami kicks the game when he field goal. I just remember being like, this guy is a really good player. And people are only going to remember him for like these two bad plays that really have no bearing on how 
just great those Cowboys teams were. It's kind of sad that that's what it is. But again, like almost with the Jeffco thing, I just feel like he's just like a really solid player that, you know what, it's kind of a shame that that's what he's kind of remembered for our mistakes. You know, in a different system and on a different team, back then the Cowboys were really big on running defensive linemen in and out of the game. And if he had been on a team where he was on the field more, I'll bet he would have been a big star. He had that kind of ability. He had that kind of talent. They used to tell us that. But he was stuck here in that system. So he was never destined to get the attention that he could have gotten elsewhere. And then when you factor in those two horrible moments, especially that one of the Super Bowl, oh, my God. Yeah. I always felt so sorry for that cat. And they do say he's a great guy, too. He's uh He's a guy that uh, in Jimmy Johnson interviews, he loves to point out like how, you know, how they would, how different he would be about scouting and stuff like that. And I, and I had to just look this up to make sure I got the school right. But I've heard him multiple times be like, and then we found this guy from Emporia State. And, you know, just like that. I mean, it's a great thing that like, it's a seventh round pick that look at, we found this guy from Emporia State, like nobody else would have found this guy. And then we turned him into this, you know, starter on, on these dynasty teams. So yeah, I, I don't even I didn't even know Emporia State had a football team, so there you go. And one of the few remaining coaches, right, that's still around from uh, Jason Garrett's tenure there, Leon Lett. That's Lett's right. Coaching that's right. I believe he's one of line. three. It's, it's just him, Kellen Moore, and uh, Doug Nussmeyer. I believe those are the only three. I could be – yeah, that's right. Number 57 on the list. This might be a, a hot, hot uh, take. Maybe put, put him on here. Sean Lee. All-time team. Yeah, I think it would be on there somewhere. I can't say I'm surprised. Are you surprised by that? I'm not surprised that he's on there. I really feel like if Sean never gets hurt, you know, he's a guy that he, he when he's at his elite level, I, I I think he's one of the best linebackers in the league, but it just, he's so, I mean, this season is the exact same thing, you know, very first day of training camp practices, we get out there and not all the players are out there yet, but um there's Sean Lee on, on the resistance cords and you're just kind of like, okay, is this just him warming up because he's about to get back out there? And then it's no, he's staying over on the resistance court. And then we come out, find out later on, he's dealing with a hamstring issue. So, uh, I have not seen, uh, Sean Lee practice at all this year because he's had the hamstring issue and it just seems like it's always something else with him. And it's so crazy because I've never covered a player that I think takes care of himself better than Sean does in terms of like down to his diet and the way he works out and everything. Like he's so meticulous about all of it. And then he just can't, cannot stay healthy. And it's not like, it's not for a lack of trying. It just, it basically comes down to this. I guess the long story short is like, I believe there's a lot of luck involved with staying healthy at the pro level. Like, Mm -hmm. like for example, like LeBron James still to be playing the way he is right now at 35. Like, I don't think that's just because LeBron eats right and he lifts weights and he does like, there's a lot of luck in there. And then the other guy I was going to mention is the guy they just got back in Brandon Carr, who has started almost 200 consecutive games and just talking to him the other day. He's, he won't even hesitate that like, you know, luck plays a role in this. Like you have to be a little bit fortunate and Sean Lee has not been very fortunate in that department. Good player, but a very unlucky player. Yeah. I always think of him as more of a player of what could have been, could have been an all-time great had mm-hmm. you not hit the injury bug so many times. And, um, yeah, to, to see him as as one of the all-time greats is uh, 
maybe a little surprising. All right, number 56, Jay Ratliff. Huh, this That was a seventh-round pick. So, yeah, this surprises yeah. me a little bit. I don't know if I ever thought of Jay Ratliff as capable of making a list like this. Good player, useful player, never a star. I don't remember too many um, standout plays that he made or standout games that he had. Solid guy, but yep. I'm surprised he's on this list. So I just, I'll always remember Jay as being a guy when I first started covering the team that like other, it seemed like he was a guy that like other beat writers were a little nervous about. Like he was an intimidating dude in the locker room. And I, uh, I remember Calvin Watkins, uh, he was working at the athletic who's now back at the morning news kind of got into it with him. And I wasn't there this day and I regret it. It's one of my biggest regrets of the day. I, I wasn't out at Valley ranch and he gets into it with, with Jay and, and Jay stands up and they're yelling at each other. And everyone's just kind of like, <laughs> I guess like Calvin, what are you doing? And so why this is going on, Rob Ryan is like talking to reporters because he was the defensive coordinator at the time. And that was his day of the week that he was talking. He stops mid-interview and then Rob Ryan goes, man, I love Calvin, but my money's on old Ratliff. Like I just, I miss Rob Ryan being in the locker room because he would always <laughs> have like something like random like that to say. But no, Jay Ratliff was a scary dude, like for sure. But um, yeah, it's hard for me to compare. Like, like he had a very high ceiling for a couple of years when he was really good. I just don't know that the longevity was there to put him on a list like this. Certainly a solid player for a seventh round pick made four pro bowls. And in 2009, they had two shutouts that year back to back. They shut out the Washington 17, zero, and then the Eagles the next week, 24 to nothing. So really good defenses with uh, DeMarcus Ware and those guys back in the day that he was involved in number actually we've got to look at an ad thanks cowboys um bob brunig number 55 you remember him mike he was 53 um yeah yeah number 55 on the list but 53 on oh, the okay. jersey oh okay yep. yeah sorry i got my numbers mixed that's, up a little that's bit. good memory though yeah immediately um middle linebacker succeeded leroy jordan Kind of kept the middle linebacker thing that the Cowboys had working then going. I'd have to look back on this, but for the first years of their existence, they only had like about two or three middle linebackers. The first was Jerry Tubbs, then came Leroy Jordan, and then I think that was handed off to Brunick. Hmm. And yeah. He was, again, he was not what you would call a star player or anything like that, but he was very solid, very smart player. Landry loved him. Yeah, for me, I don't have much to add. I just, I, I feel like if he didn't follow a guy like Leroy Jordan, then maybe, you know, he stands out a little bit more. But I, when I just, for me, when I think of like all-time great Cowboys linebackers, and I could be wrong on this because I obviously didn't see these guys play, but I just feel like, it's like Leroy Jordan and Chuck Howley, and then there's just like a really big gap. Because again, like when Bob and I were doing this this thing, like I drafted Howley and Jordan really high because mm -hmm. I knew that the linebackers that would be left for Bob to draft wouldn't be anywhere close to the level of what those two are, you know. And and Brunick was a guy that obviously got that got drafted, but um, you know when you play with two guys that and Howley and Leroy Jordan who are in the Ring of Honor and um, yeah, 
I just think it's tough to follow them. But obviously, I, I think he was a former captain, so obviously Brunick had to be a good player if he's following guys like that. All right, next on the list at number 54 for the Cowboys, all-time greatest team. By the way, established 1960, 60 greatest players, and it's a 60th anniversary. A lot of 60 going on here. Dak Prescott, number 54, greatest player. Hard Um, to take away that rookie season. Yeah, hard to take away the rookie season. The uh, book is not complete on him yet. He could wind up a good bit higher if things go well. But right now, the future is very, very blurry for him because of this hard-to-comprehend contract situation that he's finding himself in. Yeah, I think it ultimately gets done just because I think the Cowboys see it as, we. I mean, we like this guy, and if we were to let him go, who would the the replacement for him is not going to be on the level of and we've invested this time in him why would we want to part ways so i i know it's going to cost them a lot of money and it's maybe, do it or start over yeah and i don't know how you just start over so uh i'm not surprised that he's on this list but yeah i mean this could i mean it, depending on how long he's their quarterback i mean he could skyrocket up this list i mean there aren't many positions in sports that like for myself, if I could pick yeah. and be successful at Cowboys quarterback is in, on, on very high on a very short list of, of things that you want to be successful at. So, um, you know, if he ends up getting a second contract and, and he's to get them to a Super Bowl, yeah, he's shooting up this list pretty far. He could conceivably end up top 10 in his career, top 10 on this list, or he could fall off of it altogether. That's true. Number 53, the late, great Mark Tuane. Um, solid offensive tackle, part of the, I think, and I know I'm in the distinct minority here, but I think the offensive line that those Cowboy teams had was the best part of those teams. And outside of the presence of Jimmy Johnson himself, they were the reason why those teams did what they did. He was part of that. He must be given his due. Now, there's a lot of controversy surrounding the way he left this mortal coil, and I guess everybody can say what they want to about that. I don't think there are a lot of Pro Bowls or honors attached to Mark A, but still, he was part of that unit. That counts for something with me. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, that's, to me, I think that's the best offensive line maybe in NFL history, and for how much – People talk about these current Cowboys offensive lines. I just I I always compare it to the, those teams of the '90s, and this guy was your left tackle for, uh, you know, on an, on just a loaded team. So again, like to me, it's just like the '90s Cowboys were just so loaded from top to bottom. But from afar, I feel like most of the credit goes to Troy and Emmett and Michael. But there were just so many other guys on those teams that stood out, and 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 he's certainly. He's certainly one of them. There's no doubt about that. I know uh, um, Jason Garrett was a huge fan. They were really close. Uh, uh, still to this day, I think, for on, on Thanksgivings, uh, Jason Garrett has uh, Mark Tunay's wife over to their house uh, with their family because mm-hmm. uh, they're really close. To, their families are. Number 52, Mike, Billy Joe Dupree. 
Ah, Billy Joe Dupree. He was the tight end. And again, as is not to be a broken record here or anything like that, seems like we're saying this for a number of these guys. He was not really a star, not a lot of Pro Bowls there or anything like that. But he was a really good player and a big part of those teams that he was on. Again, not a star. Um, He wasn't a guy that they really looked for all that often, but when they did look for him, he never let him down. He was very dependable, did what he needed to do, was also a good blocker. Yeah, that's the the first thing they say here on the caption uh, was that he was basically a sixth offensive lineman while he he played. You know, he was an outstanding blocker for a tight end. Yeah. Yeah, any research I've done about him, it's pretty much, you know, most of the time, you know, you got Jason Witten and Jay Novacek, and then right after, it's usually Billy Joe Dupree is like the third best tight end in in Cowboys franchise history. It is is interesting to hear you guys talk about the blocker aspect of it, because... I just feel like every year it gets that part gets taken away from that position and the tight end just becomes more and more of just, you're a big fast receiver. Now you're not even like a real, like, well, who cares about your block? Yeah. You can run fast and you can catch down the seam. All right, you're in. It makes me wonder like how some of these guys would have been, uh, you know, playing in today's game where there's just more emphasis on, on throwing to the tight end and stuff like that. Great football name, Billy Joe Dupree. So is Bill Bates. Let's rank our favorite football names on this list too. There's the only two that caught my eye so far, but we'll, we'll right. see. I'll, maybe, I'll let you know. At maybe the end two tall favorite. Jones will be on the list. We'll see. That's a great. All one. right, Billy Joe Dupree is pretty strong. All right, next on the list, number fifty-one. This is kind of surprising. Andre Girard, the center from the Parcells era. Um, didn't do a lot to call attention to himself, but he was out there every week. That's for sure, and he was. By all accounts, a solid guy, but it's so hard for the layman to quantify the work of offensive linemen, the, the quality and of, of the work of offensive linemen, that it's really hard to say. But I have no problem with him being on this list because he was out there every week. He was here for a few years and, and seemed to play well. I can't make a strong yeah. argument for him not to be here. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, five five Pro Bowls. I mean, that's gonna that's gonna put you in contention with with most teams. Uh, but yeah, never anything that really like stood out a lot. Just a really solid player for him. Yeah, essentially the only mainstay on that offensive line during Tony Romo's career. I mean, till the very end when they started to put it put it together when they drafted Tyron and then all the other guys. But um, yeah, he was yeah for a while. Solid. He was the guy. He was the only was guy the on the offensive line you could count on for a while. Yeah. So so. Good to see Andre Girard uh, coming in the list at number 51. Number 50, Pat Donovan. Ah, Pat Donovan, the left tackle during the Landy Landry years. Mm. Very undersized by the standards of left tackles today. But he was a very heady player, a very smart player. Landry liked him a whole lot. Rarely made mistakes, didn't blow assignments. And he mixed it up pretty well, too. Yeah, yeah. I can't say it. Oh, sorry. Go on. Ken. No, go ahead. I was just going to say he um, made four Pro Bowls and was one of the main guys when Dorsett was 
tearing up the league. Uh, one of the main stays on that offensive line. But go ahead, John. Oh, no, I wasn't going to add too much to it. Uh, I mean, I know he was one of their standout offensive linemen, um, but obviously, you know, not a guy that uh, I watch play, so I'm not going to really be able to add a ton to the uh, conversation. 49, Herschel Walker. Oh, yeah. Um, Boy, what can you say about him? One of the I most. Mean, oh, are you talking about on the field or off? I mean, well, what you, both. <laughs> either, both. <laughs> One of the most electrifying football players that I've ever seen, and that goes back to college, probably high school. If I saw him in high school, I'd probably see nothing that would make me change that opinion. But while here, he was. I mean, give him a little space and. He could break a game, break a run, break a game wide open, single-handedly. Yeah, for me, it's kind of it's kind of like the Leon Led thing. For as good of a player as Herschel Walker uh, was, and and all aspects, a complete running back. Um, for me, I think I'm always going to kind of remember him for being the guy that was involved in a trade that built the '90s Cowboys. I mean, anytime I feel like Jimmy Johnson or Jerry Jones talk about how those teams were starting to be built, they talk about that Herschel Walker trade and how it just is a trade that they just got a ridiculous amount of picks back and that, you know, it helped mold what, what they turned into a franchise that was struggling there in the late nineties and then turned into a team that won three Super Bowls and probably should have won more than that. So um, it's just crazy to think of that you would trade clearly who was your best player on your team for draft picks. Um, but in this case, if you have the right person using those draft picks and, and drafting wisely, it's worth it. But uh I uh, I just can't imagine, just covering the team now, I can't imagine what the times were like then when that trade was announced because people had to be like, what is this team doing? This is our only good player. Oh, the fury you can't possibly <laughs> imagine. And, you know, this was Jimmy, and Jimmy was new. Jimmy was a college oh, coach. Good. Yeah. You know, a lot of people were convinced that he didn't know what he was doing. Yeah. But, oh, yeah, he knew what he was doing all right. <laughs> Yeah, and they ended up getting him back, what, 96, 97, something yeah. like that? He yeah, and, back and, and finishing, finishing out here. So. And he was useful then, too. Yeah, that's good. Number 48, Tony Hill, wide receiver. The thrill. Mm. He was on the other side from Drew Pearson in the Dorset era. He was more of the deep threat. He was also a very, very flamboyant guy. A very flashy, very flamboyant guy. Believe me, he knew who he was. Would you, uh, would you say he's the – well, I don't know. I was going to say, where, where does he rank in terms of wide receivers the Cowboys have had that didn't wear 88? Because I feel like all the focus goes towards, you know, Drew and Irvin and Dez, and now they're obviously they're putting CD in that category. Like, is would he be on that next group, at, like, of the guys that weren't – you know, number 88, like, I mean, I'm trying to think of other guys that would be in there, like Terrell Owens, or I don't even know who you put else in there. He would be he would be near the top. I don't know if he would be at the top, but he would be in the conversation in that group of guys who... Number 80 is pretty strong. Alvin Harper was 80, wasn't he? Was he yeah, 81? he was. 80. Yeah, 80. So, yeah, that's a good... That'd be a good list for the athletic, John. Best Cowboys receivers that were not 88. I would be interested to see that because that's uh, you only think of 88 when you think of great Cowboys receivers. All right. Next on the list, Jethro Pugh, Mike, 47. 
Jethro Pugh, number 75, defensive tackle. Uh, a very small college in, I believe, North Carolina, Elizabeth City State, I want to say. Again, very workmanlike. Didn't get a lot of attention. Didn't do a lot to call attention to himself. Lined up out there every week. Did his job. Did it well. Didn't screw up too much stuff. And he was a really solid guy for quite a while in that defensive front. Next to Lily. Yeah, when you're talking about names, Kent, I think Doomsday Defense is like one of the coolest names too. So, um, yes, he was a I, he was a charter member of Doomsday. I, I always so I think of that with him. And the other thing I think about with him is um, I was working at the Morning News uh, when he passed away, and I didn't know a ton about him. And uh, my colleague at the Morning News, David Moore, uh, told me a story about how Jethro Pugh lived down the street for him, from him. And like would see him when he was like taking out his garbage or getting his paper or something like that. And I was just so like stunned by the whole idea of like a professional athlete, like just living down the street from somebody because all these guys now, like all live in like gated communities and you're not going to just see the guy out there mowing his lawn unless obviously you make a lot of money as well. And you live in a very wealthy gated community, but um, yeah, just well, different you do times. that, you're, you're, you ain't mowing your lawn. Right. That's, that's the good, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what will always stand out to me about Jethro Pugh. Another great football name, Jethro Pugh. That guy was going to be something. Number 46 on the list, Travis Frederick, center. Now, Mike, in your, in your mind, you've seen a lot, of these, a lot of these players, basically every player on here. Would you say Travis Frederick is better than Jethro Pugh, better than Bill Bates, some of these guys we've talked about, in your mind? Yeah, I would. I yep. would. I think Travis Frederick did his job – just a skosh better than those guys. And Travis Frederick was part of that transcendent offensive line they had working for a few years there. That counts for something. And in addition to that, he was one of the nicest cats that I've ever seen come through here. I had a really nice conversation with him at Jerry's Hall of Fame induction party. Hmm. Yeah, really good guy. John? I know we talked about him earlier, but... Uh. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I don't know anybody that would say a bad word about him. Uh, you know, good good family man, you know, big and helping in the community, um, and then just like a great locker room guy, and just one of like the smartest guys I've ever, I've ever been around. Uh, that's the, probably one of the biggest praises that his teammates uh, share about him is basically just how he stepped in from day one and just how fast he could just diagnose what you know, defenses we're doing and he's kind of gets lost in the mix of, of that success that they had in 2016 because Dak Prescott kind of just got thrown into the fire there as a rookie quarterback. And he certainly wasn't on the level of where Romo was at that time of calling out defenses and, and, and audibling and, and, and just moving things around. And so Frederick had to do a lot of that stuff and it was only his third year. And he was just great at that and just ridiculously intelligent football player Shocked me that he retired as early as he did because um, he is a guy that, I mean, if he keeps it going, he's a potential Hall of Fame type player. And uh, and for me, I think the conversation, if you're talking about the best centers in Cowboys history, he's, you know, I think he's right in there with, you know, the Mark Stebnoskis and, and guys like that. Like he's in that conversation for sure. So, yeah, I, 
I completely agree with him being on this list and, 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 and where he's listed, too. Now, do you agree with this next player being ahead of him on the list, number 45, safety Roy Williams? No, I don't. Travis Frederick made four Pro Bowls. Williams made five Pro Bowls. Maybe that's the justification to, to putting him ahead of Frederick on the list. But I don't, I don't in my mind, see um, Roy Williams as a all-time great at his position while the time he was playing. I mean, he was a good, solid player and had a lot of memorable plays, uh, you know, big hits, things like that. But um, – I'm not thinking of him as Ring of Honor or Hall of Fame candidate level like Travis Frederick, <laughs> but uh, there you go. I just remember more was expected of him when he first arrived here because of his college career. Because of him coming from OU, I think a little bit more is a little, little bit more expectations is attached to some of those guys who come out of OU. And I don't know. I just don't feel like it was ever really delivered the way that I thought it would be and should be and could be. Yeah, I, I think most fans would agree with Mike on that, too. That just like he did not meet the expectations of what they thought they were getting. And that I find interesting just because of the fact of he played a position that really since him, there hasn't been anybody that's been really that good on that back end of that safety. They just haven't invested in safety like they did then. And uh, it's funny how they just really haven't had a guy back there, uh, you know, like that. So, um, but yeah, whenever he's mentioned, I feel like fans are like split on like if he was, I mean, a five-time Pro Bowler is a five-time Pro Bowler, but it seems like they expected more out of him. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the a position you invest in if you think you're going to get transcendent. And they invested in that position thinking that's what they would get, and they didn't. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Maybe you're right, John. Maybe that in the back of Jerry and Steven's mind is the reason they haven't spent a lot uh, drafting safety since then. <laughs> it's a high-risk, high-reward type position. Um, number 44, running back, Calvin Hill. Mike. Oh, Calvin Hill. A very controversial draft pick out of Yale. Ah. Had a very straight-up running style, but when he first got here as a rookie, you talk about a total package guy. He was a big guy, too. And he was tough. He was physical. He ran tough. He ran physical. But when there was space out there, he could run away from you, too. And it looked like he was going to be a whole lot better than he was. I think there was an injury or two early in his career that really slowed him down. Some, In fact, I don't know, I'd have to go back and – and read up on this a little bit, but it may have been one of those where after it happened, he was never the same. But he was—he um, looked like it was going to be a lot better than than the career that he actually had for a while. So I got really bored during uh, the start of the pandemic shutdown, and so I was like, I'm going to go on YouTube and watch the—I wanted to watch the two uh, '70s Super Bowls that the Cowboys won, and and it's pretty good because they have it all trimmed down so you don't have any commercials or anything and it was just funny watching watching the one in 72 because it's just so different than the way that they play football now and it was just so much of calvin hill and Dwayne thomas and and walt garrison carrying the football and it was like they had this like three-headed monster in the backfield and they all kind of did something a little bit different and uh i don't know it was just interesting to watch because it was just a different style of football at that time but uh to me um 
I think when I think of Calvin Hill, I think of him still being around the team, working uh, behind the scenes. Uh, always would see him around Valley Ranch. Obviously, his son being Grand Hill. Um, yeah, one of the great Detroit Pistons of all time. Absolutely, absolutely. And then I believe that uh, I'm going to make sure I get this right. Was it? I think it's Calvin Hill's wife. Was she roommates with Hillary Clinton in? college she might have been yeah there's some there yeah there's a connection between the, the hills and hillary clinton for sure it's in it's in the fab five documentary they uh jalen rose talks about how you know he thought grand hill like grew up like all pampered and stuff because like his mom and dad went to yale and they were friends with like hillary clinton and like you know the fab five guys came from like the inner city type thing you know mm-hmm. so i remember that being mentioned in there but yeah no there's a the hills have uh quite a quite an interesting uh history there obviously with having a uh, a father that played in the NFL at, at a high level, and then obviously having a son that played basketball at a very high level. Number 43 on the list, Daryl Johnston, the Moose. Um, Pretty much a one-trick pony, but he did that trick really well. Yeah. And that was as lead blocker for Emmett. Yep. Now, you couldn't sleep on him coming out of the backfield because he could catch the ball. But those were his two skills, and he was really good at both of them. In addition to that, he was one of the nicest cats that I've ever met in any sport during my time in the game. He is smart. He's well-spoken. He is great to talk to. And he's one of those guys that I love running into every time I see him. Yeah, yeah, uh, he's got a little bit of that uh, Bill Bates too, where I, he's just like another guy that fans. If you leave him off any of these lists, they will lose their mind. Like fans love Daryl Moose Johnston. Um, two things that stand out to me are, are Emmett's Hall of Fame speech when he had Daryl stand up and Emmett was bawling, uh, just thanking him and saying how he wouldn't be up here getting you know going to the Hall of Fame, standing on that stage if it wasn't for Daryl Johnston. Yeah. That, that, that just, was nice. Yeah, it was just a moment that you don't see all the time at a Hall of Fame thing. And then the other one was, uh, um, again, I'm sorry, I get bored bored during the this pandemic thing. So I watched a lot of old YouTube stuff. So I watched that game when Emmett broke the rushing Walter Payne's rushing record, and it was cool the way Fox had that thing set up because they had Daryl Johnson, who still works at Fox. They had him mm-hmm. though work in that game, but he was on the sideline so they could get that shot of Emmett coming off the field when he passed it. And they, and Emmett started breaking down there. Like they hugged and like, so Daryl had to kind of like step away from the microphone uh, from the interview and Emmett was just crying and it was like, so like real and serious. And he just kept saying, thank you. Thank you. Like, like, you know, I, I never could have done any of this without you again. And that's middle of the game. It wasn't like that happened at the end of the game. It was like right after he breaks Walter Payton's record. There's like, you know, Jerry's on the field and Michael Irvin and all these guys. And it like, the game stops for this. And, and you could tell Emmett like, nobody appreciates what Daryl Johnson did in the NFL more than Emmett Smith. That, that was made very clear to me. Yeah, 100%. He was a, he was a gem, and I'm surprised um, they're not trying to put him in the Ring of Honor or something. He's so well-liked. Uh, next on the list, we've got Ralph Neely, Mike. He was the left tackle, number 73, out of Oklahoma. One of the mainstays of the early Cowboys offensive line. Hmm. He was a tough guy. Good run blocker, good pass blocker, did it all. Protect, protected the blind side of 
Meredith, and then I believe later on Craig Morton, and had a, as I recall, a pretty lengthy career. Definitely belongs on the list. So, one of the best ways to uh, try and get any type of comparison all time, and I notice people do this a lot, is on Pro Football Reference, they have this thing called approximate value chart, and it's a way that they kind of try and tabulate how guys would rank an all-time, like, and they give them like a, a number value of what their value was only when they played for that franchise. And the reason I bring this up is because Ralph Neely is fourth for the Cowboys all-time. His approximate value is a 142. The only guys in Cowboys history that they have ranked ahead of Ralph Neely in terms of his value to the Cowboys when he played are Emmett Smith, Bob Lilly, and Randy White. Wow. So, that is amazing. Yeah. That's a great yeah, stat. That, I, I just, again, like, because when I was doing this thing with, with Bob where we were breaking it down, I had, I didn't know much about a lot of the older players, so I was, like, looking up things, and I just remember that name stood out to me. I was like, wow, this guy must have been dominant if he's this high on this list. And, uh, yeah. so I don't know if I ever thought of him as a dominant offensive yeah. tackle, but he was really good. See that's the thing with this list and, and the way they they do this value thing. I think if if you're I think if you play for a long period of time and let's say you know you're a starter for a long period of time, like that value holds a lot more than maybe if you just had two or three good seasons. Yeah. You know. All right. Next on the list, Ezekiel Elliott. Um, I'll let Johnny tackle this one. I feel the same way. Uh, really about the Ezekiel Elliott being on this list as I do about Dak Prescott. And, and, and that's that if he keeps playing and plays at the level he's at right now, he'll skyrocket up here because, you know, I under like Cowboys wide receiver, running back quarterback. If you play at an elite level for a decent amount of time, you're going to be looked at as one of the greats in the game. And so if he's able to do that for, he's got to do it for a while longer, obviously. Um, but they generally seem to have, an interest in having good offensive lines in front of him. He stepped in in 2016 with a good offensive line. And so that obviously helped. And uh, his stats are crazy, man. Like they're, they're very, they're very good. If he can keep on the pace that he's on right now, uh, he's in great shape. The problem is, is that I'm a person that believes that Emmett Smith's rushing record is one of the safest in all of sports, just because of the way the game has changed. And for Zeke to get on, on that type of a level with on a team like this, cause that's how you're always going to be compared at running back. You have to be on good teams. You have to stay healthy and you have to be on a team that is willing to run the football. And so how long can that last? Can he stay healthy for a long period? I mean, there's just a lot of question marks here, but mm-hmm. there's no question. I think he belongs in this list. He's a two time rushing champ. He's three time pro bowler, uh, two time first team, all pro and I think he's got a lot of good years left. So um, I don't I don't have any problem with where he's ranked here. I think it's good. I will, there you go. I will second all of that. <laughs> yeah, well said. All right, Flozell Adams next on the list. Um, another very strong, solid left tackle that the Cowboys have. They seem to have an act for finding guys like that over the years. And usually those guys that they do find stay for a while. Mm-hmm. They are strong. They're sturdy. They get out there every week. And as near as I can tell, Flozell Adams did all that while he was here. I don't ever remember being there being too much spectacular about him, nor do I ever remember him being involved in any kind of controversy. 
he was just out there every week doing his thing, and and you rarely heard of him making any kind of critical mistake. Yeah, I have nothing to add. That- yeah, I just um, remember going, I got sideline passes, I don't know, when I was in middle school sometime. Uh, you know, probably when he was playing, probably oh two somewhere around there. And I remember seeing him on the sideline and just thinking he was the biggest human being in the history of the world. I mean, that guy was just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, and he might be bigger than Tyron Smith. I don't know, but he certainly was tall. And yeah, I mean, what a monster flow was. Number 39, Mark Stepnowski. Step. Step. Undersized center who got by on brains as much as brawn. A real smart guy, a real student of the craft, and a real interesting guy to talk to, too. A real interesting conversationalist with a wide range of views, some pretty radical, on a wide range of topics. Really liked him when he was here. It's interesting you say that because – that's what, like, because I always compare him with Frederick. I think those are their two best centers. And uh, I guess offensive linemen, there's, like, this code that, like, you're not supposed to really say anything. You're supposed to kind of just, you know, be seen but not heard. And so when you say that about him, that that's interesting to me because, like, Frederick was like that too. But, like, man, Tyron Smith, I mean, there's nobody harder to talk to than Tyron Smith. He doesn't want to say anything. Uh, Lyle Collins, very soft-spoken. You know, Zach Martin pretty much the same way you know it's just like this offensive way that they don't really want to you know say anything outside the box they want to just kind of be seen and not heard and that's that's interesting that Stepnowski would be like that because Frederick's like that too I mean Frederick has Frederick's an interesting dude to talk to is for sure but when you can get those guys going they're amazing yeah they got a lot sure. to say and it's great talking to them yeah a story I think about I remember Nate Newton telling me this um I was working with Nate doing some kind of broadcast. He was telling me about um, step. I was asking him about some of the guys he played with and he's talking about step. And Nate was talking to Reggie white about step and Reggie white said, I mean, when he was on those Packer teams back in the nineties that Reggie white used to like stay awake the night before games because he was so scared to play against Mark step <laughs> Like, Mark Stepnoski owned Reggie White. Like, I don't know if it was a mental thing or what it was, but Reggie White just feared having to play him and face him in that offensive line. And I just, I always find that hilarious that I can't imagine Reggie White being scared of anybody, let alone a guy, like you said, a skinny offensive lineman like Mark Stepnoski. But yeah, maybe he uh, just technique wise just could kill you out there. <laughs> maybe so. That's surprising. Yeah. yeah. All right. Leroy Glover. 38 on the list. This is a, surprises me a little bit. Certainly uh, our friend Brian Broadus would be proud of this one because he was part of the team that brought him to Dallas, one of the best free agent uh, signings they've ever had. But don't know if he's a top 60 or a top 30 player on this list and what it says, but yeah. How long was he here? I think four years, and they weren't good years. <laughs> I mean, he oh, was two, good. No, yeah. Around, but yeah, he was, the team wasn't good. Right. Yeah, he was good. The team was not. But, gosh, I really don't remember too much outstanding about him. But I, I do remember thinking that, yeah, he's a, a nice player. And what's going wrong with this thing is not due to him. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I have no, I have nothing to add on that. I guess I was going to say the same thing you said, Kent, that I know Brian was part of that group that brought him in, and, and he played really well, and he made several Pro Bowls. Mm-hmm. Just the team wasn't any, anything great at that time. I think he got here during that last— He got here the, during the 5-11 and 11 years. 5-11, and 11, right. And then yeah. his last year was when they went to the playoffs with Quincy, with Parcells. Okay, yeah. And, uh, yeah. All right, um, Danny White, Mike, 37. Never has gotten a fair shake. Yeah. Was a lot better than he is given credit for. How do you compare him to Tony Romo? And uh, just their reputations, because you hear that a lot about Romo, like, oh, you just had to see him play. I know the stats aren't going to be there. The Super Bowls aren't, but he was one of the great great players. I I think Romo's got a lot better reputation than Danny White because fans blame Danny White for things that went wrong. They blamed him for them never be for, for the team never being able to get farther than they did. And, you know, football's a team game. Yeah, he may, may not have been the greatest guy out there, and you have to also consider the backdrop of who he followed. Right. You know, he followed Staubach. That's a tough room for anybody to play in, but Danny White was always a lot better for me than he's given credit for. Yeah, I, I, it's, I find it interesting just looking at the stats how he has just gotten passed by, it's not only Romo, but like even people are putting Dak past him now where it's like whenever people rank like the top Cowboys quarterbacks of all time, it's like Roger, Troy, and then it's like Tony and Dak, and then like they're forgetting about Danny White. And anybody, I feel like anybody that's seen Danny White play will be like, wait, we'll pump your brakes on that. But like any of the new era People that have only really been watching the Cowboys for maybe the last 10 years, they're like, I don't know who this Danny White guy is. He didn't win any Super Bowls, so he can't be better than these guys, you know? But uh, anybody that has, like, seen Danny White play seems to all be like, yeah, you need to, you need to pump your brakes on that because this, this guy was pretty good for a while. He got them to three straight NFC championship games. Now, they didn't win any of those games, but still – I don't know. I may be in this distinct minority here and out there in cowboy land, but anytime you get to three straight conference championship games, there's something to be said for that. Oh, they would love that now. Yeah. I mean, if Dak got him to three straight, I mean, I guess after the three happened, I guess then maybe people would be like, all right, well, when are we going to get a Super Bowl? But right now, I mean, I think Cowboys fans would be thrilled if they got to an NFC Championship game. Well, this all happened at a time when Cowboy fans were spoiled like they were at no other time in the history of the team. Yeah. I could see that. Number 36, Jay Novacek, tight end. Pass catcher. Yeah. Pass catching, tight end. Um... Trying to, I would say he might be the. And help me out on this, Johnny, if you can. But I'm kind of wandering out on a limb here. But he might be the first really pure pass catching tight end the Cowboys had. Well, yeah, like a lot, I would, I would agree with that, a lot, yeah. of, a lot of the others were kind of hybrid pass catcher blocker. You know, one that comes to mind who might have something to say about that was Doug Cosby. But still, Cosby was a bigger guy who also did his fair share of blocking. So, yeah, I'm thinking Novacek might be the first pure pass-catching tight end that the Cowboys had. Yeah, and the thing that always helps Novacek, too, is that just like when he got there, that's when they, I mean, yeah, they were going to Super Bowls all the time, and – 
after Michael Irvin, I just that was the next guy that Troy was thrown to the most. Because I mean, yeah, Alvin Harper was here for some of that, but he wasn't here for all of it. But Novacek was, and so uh, he's now, a Troy guy looked too, at though. Alvin Harper as a space cadet. He trusted <laughs> Novacek. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He definitely did. Um, he definitely trusted Novacek for sure. Um, yeah, that's one on Twitter that when I've when I put out like a, my what I think is my all time Cowboys uh, starting lineup, I had Witten at tight end, and there were people that were like, "No, it's Novacek." So I'd, I wouldn't put him over Witten, but I think it's pretty clear he's the second best tight end that the Cowboys have ever had. All right, I'll keep going down the list. Stop me if you uh, have any commentary. Number thirty five, Charlie Waters. No, oh, the great Charlie Waters. Part of that safety of Waters and Harris, mm-hmm. back of the Cowboys' defense. Strong safety. Not the best athlete out there, but you talk about a smart, heady player who knew what was going to happen out there before he did. Man, that was Charlie Waters, and he would hit you too. Yeah, you see Cliff Harris going into the Hall of Fame this year. Um, a lot of people say, Charlie, if Cliff's in, Charlie should be in, right? Same with the Ring of Honor. And uh, Cliff seems to get all the accolades for uh, what that duo did back then. Well, when Cliff goes in the Hall of Fame, I guarantee him he will mention Charlie in his speech. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Number 34, Des Bryant, John. Yeah, this uh, that's an interesting one because – I mean, he produced when he was here, he produced and he was a lightning rod because like, I mean, he obviously played during a time with Calvin Johnson and there was a few other receivers, but he was right there as the best of if you just threw it up and he'd go get it. And that's why even on a fourth down in the biggest game of Tony Romo's life, instead of just checking it down and getting the first down to Cole Beasley in Green Bay, he threw it up to Dez because he was single covered. There was a portion of time there for a few years that if you dared to defend Des Bryant, single coverage that ball was going towards him and, and most likely he was coming down with it. So yeah. Um, man, I have a lot of thoughts about this because he's a guy that obviously is still trying to get in the league, getting back back in the league. I don't know if that's going to happen. I know he tried out with the Ravens, but uh, just a real fan favorite because of the way that he played the game. And uh, you know, there's some people that will criticize the way he would be on the sidelines and being fiery and stuff like that. But then there's other people that will say, maybe that's what this Cowboys team is missing. Always found him more trouble than he was worth. Really good player, though. Really, Great really player. good player, man. Yeah. Just, I, you know, he Great might player, be, but, I, but for me, I wouldn't have him. Yeah, you know, we talked on about them Cowboys about this, about him trying out and that the league kind of passed him by and players like him, they go up and get it. Guys just aren't around as much anymore and if they are they're they're very rare but when he was around man you couldn't beat him he still leads the team in all-time receptions uh touchdown receptions with 73 and so i mean that's an auto inclusion on this list to, to lead the cowboys in in touchdowns it's a pretty big stat to have and uh man that 2014 year him and romo their connection was was really special there for a while and, uh, now, I would not in no way say he doesn't belong on this list. Yep. All right. Next on the list, we've got Eric Williams. And uh, Nate used to tell me, Mike, that this was the – if he had stayed healthy, this guy would have been one of the all-time greats. 
I believe it. That guy had to be the meanest, nastiest son of a bitch in yeah. the league. <laughs> and I, I can only imagine when a team would start to turn its attention at the beginning of every week after the game was over on Sunday night, what it was like for the defensive end that was going to have to go up against Eric Williams the next week. I mean, he'd probably, if his team won the game, he'd probably be really happy in the room for a while. They'd be planning a big party and everything like that. And then somewhere during the course of that evening, it's like, oh, wait a minute. I got Eric Williams next week. And his buzz would just be totally killed. Yeah. He, he's the ultimate what if guy. Like, I think he's in that. I would put him in the conversation in all time NFL history of what ifs, because I feel like that's what everybody talks about is like what this guy could potentially be like if he would have not gotten in a car accident and would have played a full career. Um, I'm trying to think who mentioned him. Um, I think it was Michael Strahan at his, uh, at his hall of fame induction. Like he was mentioning, he mentioned like a handful of players that like, were the toughest to go against. And I remember him mentioning Eric Williams in there. Uh, and yeah, he's a guy that like, obviously Cowboys fans know who he is and he's obviously famous for that. But I don't know if uh, nationally he, he gets the due that uh, former players uh, give him. Not at all. Number 32, George Andre or yeah. Yeah, that's right. Mike. Um, defensive end. In the Bob Lilly days of that Cowboy front four, um, long-time starter, played a lot of games, and he had a few moments, but for the most part, he was one of those guys that did his job really well every week, and you didn't notice the guy he was blocking too much. Mm-hmm. You know, he usually won most of the battles with that guy. But I don't remember him being a guy who made just a, a whole lot of plays. I just remember him being more a real solid guy. Um, I do also remember that um, I believe it was the Ice Bowl that he had a big touchdown in that, yeah. a big defensive touchdown. There you go. That'll put you on the list right there. Number yeah. The next on the list is Nate Newton. We mentioned him, but um, – you know, you talk about that offensive line in the 90s, and you got to think if the off the field, the stuff hadn't happened, and he might be in Canton or uh, in the Ring of Honor or somewhere like that because he was so good at, at what he did. Yeah. Um, like I say, I think that offensive line was the best offensive line that any team has ever put together. Hmm. I think it's the best offensive line in NFL history. They were completely, totally, 100%, absolutely dominant. And, you know, you had the two tackles, two and A and Williams, but probably the number, and Stepnoski was great, but as far as the guards go, Big Newt and John Giesick held, held up their end as well. And, and, you know, I got to know Big Newt when he was up at the radio station all those years, and great guy. Love him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my, my one thing I was going to say about that is it just, uh, I feel like, with the current Cowboys, everyone's so used to like, well, they if this player isn't playing well in the offensive line, they need to draft somebody else in the first round to replace them. And we look at that offensive line in that '90s, and like none oh, of those yeah. guys were first yeah. round. And there are no first round picks there. Yeah, 
that yeah, that offensive line sense. just had a philosophy of let's get the biggest baddest dudes we can. That's it. <laughs> and don't care where they came from. I want three hundred pound badasses. And uh, that it's less like oh he didn't uh, have a great three cone at the combine. F that. I don't care. You know. Yeah. yeah. Nate, Nate was even drafted. Yeah, they just dominate you. Yeah, I remember Gil Brandt talking about Nate and uh, going and and or you know going and trying to find Nate when he got released from the um, USFL. It was like his first call. He was like, I got to find Nate, you know, called him and got him into a tryout. Um, so John Nyland is next on the list, Mike. John Nyland, offensive guard on the 60s teams. Yeah. Um, very solid guy who held his ground in there. Lined up next to Dave Manders at center. And formed a really solid core of interior protection for Don Meredith and then later on Roger Staubach. And fine player. I'm a little, I'm, I think he, he might be rated a little high on this list, but mm. he definitely, definitely needs to be on there somewhere. Yeah. It's hard to value, uh, you know, offensive linemen when <laughs> there's not a lot of like touchdowns to attribute it to and you're listing something like this but number 29 don perkins running back don perkins was probably the first really good bellwether type running back the cowboys had in the 60s when they started to get good four or five years in he was the guy who did most of the running with the football he was not a big guy he was not a real fast guy but he was a smart guy and he was tough. He could survive a big hit, bounce off, and pick up more yards for you. Good player. Number 43 on the jersey. That's right. You don't see that 43. A for a running back. Maybe he was the only one that fit him back in the day. That was the... Uh, that was and I think <laughs> later on, he got into the political realm in New Mexico. Interesting. John, I know you got about 20 minutes on Don Perkins, but make it short. No, I'm, I've, I got 20 minutes in the next game. Okay, all right. Tyron Smith, go ahead. So, I mean, some think that uh, Eric Williams is more talented than Tyron Smith. It just Eric Williams' career got cut mm-hmm. short, so people tend to go towards Tyron. I, Tyron Smith is just, like we like I said on the previous podcast that we recorded, Like I think he's the most valuable player on this current Cowboys team because if they lose him, uh, there's a huge drop-off to the next guy. And so... Uh, uh, really solid, really good player for a long time. Uh, he plays a few more years at, at the level he's at right now, and I think he's in the ring of honor in, 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 and in the Pro, Pro Football Hall of Fame. So, uh, yeah, Tyron Smith, the only thing that, that's held him back these last three or four years is, is he's dealt with some back is, issues and things like that. But if not for that, I mean, he's one of those guys that just – you ask another player about him, and, and they there's not one negative thing they can say. Like, he's just – and when he's at his best, he's just dominant. Yep. You don't think he's already Ring of Honor and Pro Football Hall of Fame worthy? The only thing that holds me back on, on some of that is, yeah, maybe eventually he does, but I just feel like not having that postseason success, and I know it doesn't matter for those positions as much as it does for, like, quarterback and some of the others, yeah. but, like, just because they haven't gotten past the divisional round, it, it, it's weird because I think that hurts them, but the other time it, it helps them that they're Cowboys. But, I, yeah, Tyron Smith and Zach Martin both are – uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Like I think they that they're both Hall of Famers, but maybe there's people out there, other writers, that think they need to do a little bit more, and the team needs to finally take that next step before they get there. Twenty-seven, Ed Tootall Jones. 
one of the most controversial moves any cowboy ever made was when Ed Too Tall Jones shockingly, shockingly, and I can't stress that enough, <laughs> retired in mid-career to pursue boxing. I will never forget listening to Sports Central on KRLD, hosted by Brad Sham that night. Hmm. When he had that story, I had not heard it as of yet, but I was by the channel for Sports Central, and and I believe he came back from or went to a break saying, when we come back, we have a story that you're not going to believe. So, of course, I've got to sit through the spots and be by the channel for that. And he came back with the tale of how Ed Tall Jones – the next day was going to announce his retirement from the Cowboys to pursue boxing. I just, when I hear that, all I think about is just how, how different the world is now in terms of media. Because if that happened today with an NFL player to go box, let alone a Dallas Cowboy in the prime of their career, that would just be the biggest story. Like that would own Twitter. Like that's all people would be talking about because that just seems so crazy for someone to just, again, because he's in his prime and also just, I mean, what was he six eight, six nine? I don't know. That just seems six, wild. Yeah, that's just a wild story. Yeah. Way too tall to be a boxer. What about the player though, Mike? What did you think? Oh, uh, the player was he he was really good. The the main issue with Ed Too Tall Jones though was his motor. Sometimes his motor didn't quite work the way people thought it should. Now I never had a problem with it myself. I never really saw that. It looked like he was trying hard out there to me. But it used to rankle some of the coaches, and I think it bothered Landry a little bit. Even though, you know, Landry was not one to criticize guys or, you know, openly or anything like that. But that there, there was always a little bit of a question about him surrounding that. Certainly a polarizing guy. Um, number 26 is Zach Martin. Uh, it just makes me think of the draft and them drafting him over Johnny Manziel. What's so funny like, about that, John, is like, would you have, if I told you even then this guy is going to be better than Tyron Smith, you would have been like, "There's z- the odds of that is like zero, basically. <laughs> being better than Tyron Smith like and he probably will be go down as that right yeah he's he is so solid in in the middle i think he's still one of the best guards i think the best guard in football right now is probably uh Quentin Nelson but i think he's right there um and he's going to have his hands full in week 1 against Aaron Donald which was such a great matchup at the senior bowl um yeah Zach Martin the elite of the elite uh great dude he's really taking on more of a leadership role now with, you know, with Travis Frederick retiring. Um, and again, like Tyron Smith, obviously he's been on the offensive line longer, but he just doesn't say very much. So they need a vocal leader there. And Zach has clearly taken that on. Um, yeah, he absolutely belongs on this list. And like I said about Tyron, I mean, I think if he just plays a few more years, I think he's a hall of famer and he's going in the ring of honor. I think so too. He's, He's the, I think he's the best football player on the team right now. Um, on the current Cowboys, pound for pound, the best the best player. And whoever took him in our about them Cowboys 
draft this year, fantasy draft, was smart because at the end of the year, it's going to be hard to say, Zach Martin sucked, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, as long as he's like Tyron. Like, yeah. As long as he's healthy, then then you know what you're going to yeah, get Yeah, you know there. you're going to get a very, very good. good player if he's just out there. So, All right, next is well, Emerson who took Walls. him? Was that you? I, I no, don't no, no, think so. No, I think it was KT. KT. It was yeah. KT. I wouldn't have taken him because I, well, I wanted to take guys that were like, they had a little bit of like perception. You know, yeah. Yeah. Right. So people like people are going to look at offensive linemen like, oh, who cares? Yeah. You know, it's such a thankless job, you know. There you go. Uh, Everson Walls is next on the list. Mike, cornerback, Everson Walls. Cubby Walls, mm. the interception guy. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it was so much that he was what you would call a ball hawk as much as it was that he was just really, really smart back there and really knew what he was doing and, most important, knew what the guy he was covering was going to do. And he had it all figured out how he was going to go about combating that and get to the football and take the guy's ball away from him. And he was just outstanding at it. Great guy, too. Love Cubby Walls. He would be perfect for this current Cowboys defense. They would love to have a guy in the back end oh. that could just intercept passes. It, I mean, that's exactly what they're missing. Yeah, is what I mean, a lot, of the, a lot of the time it seemed like the, the, that he was playing pitch and catch with a quarterback mm-hmm. because he, he was that smart and he knew where the ball was going. Yeah, he had 44 picks in his career. <laughs> um, I, I think the last I looked, I was looking at either Cheeto or Jordan Lewis, and they were like the number one current guy on the team. They had four t- career or something like none that. Of, none, of, none of the Cowboys defensive backs uh, who will most likely be starting on Sunday night uh, have more than two interceptions in a season. There you go. So Yeah, Everson Wallace had a lot, I think – was it nine or ten? His rookie year. His rookie so, year, yeah. So there you go. All right. Uh, now we're getting into the beef of this list, Mike. Tell me about Don Meredith. Oh, what do you want to know? Well, let's start. Hey, start with the start with the player, and then and then let's see what you have to say about him as a uh, broadcaster. Man, the player was <laughs> great. The player was so incredibly unappreciated. And so incre- incredibly mistreated by fans at the Cotton Bowl back then, it's not even funny. I mean, if anything went wrong, they would just let him have it. And most of the time, it was not his fault. That guy was a warrior. He was a battler. He played hurt. He was a smart player. He made it fun for everybody. There was nothing not to like about Don Meredith. And, his, and you talk about... Shocking retirements. His is the most shocking retirement in Cowboys history. Wow. That's a good one. How did he do it? Um, I believe he just went just in out there. Out of nowhere was like, yeah, I'm done? Yeah, just went in there and, and told him, I've had it. I'm not coming back next year. Did they have sort a good like backup plan or would they leave him? <laughs> <laughs> Did they have a good backup plan, or were they kind of left hanging? Oh uh, yeah, they had a good backup plan. I believe Morton was around then. Morton was around, and he was ready to take over. And, and um, St- I think Staubach was on the way. You know, Staubach was still doing the military thing, the Navy thing, but they had his rights then, so he was on the way. So they were well prepared. But 
man, Don Meredith meant so much to this team back then that you just you, you just couldn't replace it. Uh, a chunk of the fabric of the team was torn away. The team lost a little bit of its soul when they lost him. Was he a big arm guy or was he more of a like a game manager type? Him, he was not a game manager. He would take okay. his chances. I don't know if, if I would call him a big arm, but there yeah. was not a pass that he didn't think he could complete. He was one of, And he had Bob Hayes? Yeah, he had Bob Hayes. Okay. And, and he could get it down there. Okay. He could, you know, it, I wouldn't call it a rocket, but he got it where it needed to be. Cornell Green. Cornell Green, number 34. He was a defensive back, played both corner and safety. And he was around back in the days when the Cowboys first started to get good. And they always said back then that the thing that you need to know about a cornerback or a safety is what you don't know about them. The more you hear their name, the worst game they're having. And you didn't hear Cornell Green's name mentioned a whole lot during games. He was not exactly what you would call a turnover machine. That might have been the one weakness in his game. But as far as going out there and, and keeping his man under control, he did that week in, week out. Cowboys. Hey, on the uh, pro football re- reference approximate value scale, they have him as the sixth sixth in Cowboys history. Yeah. Sixth highest ranked player, Cornell Green. There you go. That says a lot. He's got, he has eight blocked field goals in his career that's incredible was, 10 blocked was, kicks eight blocked field goals he was an athlete too he was a basketball player in college that's amazing another gil brandt find i don't think that the cowboys have eight block kicks in the last 15 right. years <laughs> as a team yeah they might not have eight block kicks since cornell green <laughs> retired seriously uh next on the list is Deion Sanders. I'm interested in what Mike has to say about this. Um, I was not a fan. <laughs> Great player. I admit that. Um, he was just a little bit too much. Neon Dion, a little bit too much about himself for me. But great player. I mean, he changed every game he was in that I ever saw just about. He impacted it and some sort of meaningful way. He's so tough to rank in any list uh, for something like this because I feel like so many people feel the same way as what you just said, where it's like he was such a showboat to a certain extent that it could turn you off, but then you could also couldn't take away the fact that like in his prime, like he would shut down like a half of the field. And so you're like, man, this is like the ultimate shutdown corner that we've ever seen, including the fact that like we haven't seen anybody like him since, which is amazing. Um, so the talent is just incredible, but then the, there's also the personality, like I said, that, that turns people. Yeah. Off. And to, if I can round this thing out a little bit and present the case for me actually having seen him play and knowing what he did, he was great on punt returns. And if he ever got his hands on the ball, there's a pretty good chance that you were about to pay very dearly for that. I could see that for sure. Uh, you know, he might be the best at his position ever. You know, he might be the best quarterback to ever yeah, play. Yeah, he may be. The, the, the game, and it's hard for me to think of anyone on this list to be better than Dion. but, you know, I you, you think about he was only here for a little bit, and 
yeah, I was limited. And Yeah, not a true cowboy. Right, right. Uh, speaking of true cowboy, ahead of him slightly, one spot is Tony Romo. That is a true cowboy. Um, tackle this, Johnny. What a lightning rod of a player. I, I like, I feel like I got to see the ceiling and like the, the highest of highs that he got to play at. But then, but I also feel like that we are kind of cut short of what it should have been. Like it, it, you feel like it was trending in a way where you're like, this guy's going to finally kind of get over the hump and lead this team to a Super Bowl. But his back just couldn't hold up. He just couldn't stay healthy. And it was getting to a point where he wasn't even taking free hits. He was taking average, like the normal type of hits quarterbacks take, and he was getting hurt. And so it's just so interesting how even though Dak has played well and they've gone back to the playoffs since then, Romo's just still such a lightning rod with the fans and with him being on TV all the time and him obviously having great success at what he's doing on TV – like his name doesn't go away. It's almost the like to the fact that like we joke around some of us that cover the team that it's like, how many more years from now are people still going to be like if quarterback if whoever the quarterback is isn't playing well, people will be like well, maybe Romo will come out of the booth. It's like guys, he he's not coming back. Like just move on from it. But there are there are some diehard Romo fans that I guarantee you looked at this list on the Cowboys website and were like, this is way too this is way too low. Romo should be like top fifteen or top ten or something like that. So. To have him at 21 is, is kind of interesting, but I'll say this. Everyone has an opinion on him. Yeah, everybody's got an opinion on him. He was a really, really exciting player to watch, and it's really too bad that things worked out the way they did and he had to step away from the game because the other thing is, and I don't know, you probably know him better than me. Maybe you can address this, but I think he really loved football. I think he really does love football. And you can tell by what you know what he what he's doing on TV that he's really into the game of football and it would have been nice for it to work out a little bit better for him. Uh there you go. Yeah, I think uh, his reputation's only going to improve over time with his just showing his knowledge of the game every Sunday for a national audience doesn't doesn't hurt. Uh, when it comes to rankings like this. Harvey Martin, slightly ahead of him, Mike. Oh, Harvey Banks Martin, the pass rusher. Mm -hmm. He was from South Oak Cliff. Um, He was quick as a cat. Wasn't real big. Defensive ends back then weren't terribly oversized the way they sometimes can be now. But – don't get me wrong, you know, you, you couldn't push him around for sure, but that was not really his game. He was more a, a quickness and finesse guy, and he was a sack meister of the highest order, the biggest sack meister on those teams of his time, and one of the best in the league. Yeah, he's one of those guys that I, it just amazes me, like how much different – defensive ends and pass rushers are looked at now because it's just all about sacks. How many sacks you get? How many sacks? And I can't believe that this wasn't a stat that was calculated before, I think, what was it, 19? Uh, it could have been 82. in the 80s. Or, was 82, yeah. Um, because he, this is a guy that just got a ton of sacks. They just didn't keep the stat. They didn't record it. So 
uh, if he played in today's NFL, you know, I think people would, he would have an even better reputation than he did then. But, um, yeah, that's the thing. Like even on that write up that they had, I think they said that he had 23 and just 23 sacks in 14 games in 1977. That's crazy. Yeah. Like that's, that's absurd. Yeah. That's, yeah. He was hard to handle out there. That's nuts. Yeah. I've heard, um, talk that he should be one of the first in line to be in the hall of fame too. Uh, you know, kind of gets brushed under the rug a little too often in that conversation. Um, number 19, Charles Haley. We talked about Dion not being a real cowboy. This is always a player that surprised me was in the, in the ring of honor. Uh, you know, maybe it's just because he was so dominant for so long and they needed him to win those championships, you know, but yeah. Any Charles Haley thoughts, Mike? Um, Trouble. <laughs> I mean, on the field, Mike, we know, we know Charles is an interesting yes. person. Let's get him one-on-one uh, well, -on -one with you on here, Mike. How about the, the, that? Okay. All right. I'll talk to him. That's the main thing I think of when I think of him is how much trouble he was off the field. Now, on the field, there's no question. He was incredible. And he did what he was brought here to do. He was brought here for one thing and one thing only, and that was to address the one weakness those teams had or the one area where, I don't know if it was really a weakness, but it could have used a little shoring up. And yeah. he did that and more. So he did what he was brought here to do. There's no question about that. But, man, some of the stuff that I heard about that guy that he did off the field, wow. I will say that, Earlier in this show, Kent, you mentioned about Roy Williams. You said that, you know, about how that could potentially still have impact on the team today, why they don't spend significantly on safety. I don't know if that's to be the case, but I will say this. Charles Haley working out for the Cowboys and that whole thing panning out after all the problems that he caused for the 49ers, that is still felt to this day. And that's why you see the Cowboys continuously taking chances, particularly on guys that can get to the quarterback that have off-the-field issues. We've seen it for years now. And that's because Charles Haley worked out. And Jerry Jones is big on If I've seen something work out once, I believe it can work out again. And so because Charles Haley worked out, and because Jimmy Johnson will always say that they don't win any of those Super Bowls until they add Charles Haley, like they needed that pass rusher so badly, I I just have always believed that that's still Charles Haley is always in the back of Jerry's mind every off season when a pass rusher becomes available. They always seem to be in the conversation regardless of any issues off the yep, field, Char and it's because Charles Haley Charles Haley set the template <laughs> by uh, taking a crap in a guy's convertible or sunroof. Was it a sunroof? <laughs> I think it was. I've heard. I've heard a lot. I, I, I think it was. Player, I've heard more. Yeah, I. I don't know a player that I've heard more stories about. Yeah. That I mean, maybe they're true, maybe they're not, but they're wild. And if there's like, if someone said that they had a story about an NFL player and it was the wildest thing you've ever heard, and you had to guess who the player was, my first guess would probably be Charles Haley. <laughs> yeah. Same. Well, the opposite of that, pretty upstanding citizen, Darren Woodson is slightly ahead of him on this list. And uh, just a great, great player. Solid guy. Great player, great guy. Hmm. Love that guy. Yeah. We did a show with him for a couple of years during the Halcyon days of the Cowboys, and he was just – really, that was kind of his entree into broadcasting, coming on there with us every week and learning how to do it. And he was really serious about it. Every time I'd see him, 
he would start talking to me about, man, what can I do to get better? How am I doing here? Mm-hmm. And I'd tell him, look, just be you. Just be you. You're doing great. But as far as what he did on the field, just the epitome of the strong safety back then. Yeah, there you go. What, how, how, how great would he be on this team right now? I mean, that's exactly what this team is missing. Not only the position, just how the leader he was, oh, everything. Like, oh, perfect fit for right what now. What a fit for right now. First in franchise history with 1,350 tackles. It's a pretty impressive uh, run he had and won multiple championships. So, shout Great out. Guy too. Yeah, good guy. Chuck Howley. Next on the list, we're really getting into the beef of this thing. The, good, the all-time greats. Chuck Halley, Mike. Ring of Honor. Linebacker next to Leroy Jordan on the early Cowboys playoff teams. Big, big playmaker. No matter what you might have needed at the time, be it a uh, stop, big hit on somebody to cause a fumble, maybe even intercepting a pass, Chuck Halley was the guy that was there for you. Mm-hmm. He would get it. Excellent player. Yeah, I just think of a guy that played his best in like the biggest moments, like in those Super Bowls. It just, I don't know, yeah. there's a certain value to that. Like guys that just turn it up on the on the biggest stage. You know, you don't know who it's going to be like until they actually get on that stage and you see it. But um, I believe, I could be wrong on this, but I, I think he's one of the, isn't he one of the only people that win MVP? He's the only person to win MVP on a losing, on a losing on team. A losing team. Yep. Yes, that's right. And that's absolutely correct. Two when the picks game, and a fumble recovery in the game. Yeah, yeah. When the game when the games were biggest, that's when he was at his best. That is amazing. I, I can't imagine them giving uh, an MVP award in twenty twenty to the losing team. No matter he could have four picks and they wouldn't give it to him. Yeah, <laughs> you, you know, I've heard I've heard someone I don't know where I heard it, but they were talking about that. It might have been on a on a show on TV, like an NFL preview show, but they were talking about how like they think that might be one of the safest like bets that there'll never be another losing player because it usually just goes to the you know winning quarterback if mm-hmm. if anything. But I I maintain that if you had a game where and it would have to be a defensive end I feel like and he'd have to get like four or five sacks and then their team just barely loses an ugly game or something like that. But this player was clearly dominant. I think it could potentially happen. But like an Aaron Donald type player, mm-hmm. like he just takes over the game. But it's not his fault. He did everything he could. I think it. I think it could still potentially. Happen. It's unlikely, but I wouldn't completely shut the door on that. I think that Maybe. player would have to have a big reputation. Yeah, yeah, that, for sure. Yeah. Down that path, like an Aaron Donald. Yeah, yeah. All right, next, Mike Lee, Roy Jordan, right Talked next to earlier. Chuck Holly. Mm-hmm. Those guys were kind of the Brooks brothers of linebackers in the NFL back in the day. Chuck on the outside, Leroy on the inside, control in the middle, hard hitter, um, fast for a guy his size. And stayed around a, a good number of years and was a team leader and uh, just one of the main dudes in every way. Out of out of those two, Howley and, and Leroy Jordan, who was like looked at as being more of the man like around Dallas or was they both kind of looked at like as it was interchangeable like or was one considered better than the I other? I think Jordan was considered the better of the two. I think he was considered – the more indispensable of the two. This may be because, you know, he played middle linebacker and that had a little bit more cachet to it than 
outside linebacker, but I don't know. It's heresy to say this, and I love Leroy Jordan. He's a great guy. Run into him many times in intervening years, and he's always just really, really cool. But I kind of favor Holly between the two of them. There you go. All right, here we go. Drew Pearson. Maybe he'll be in the the hall someday, maybe. Let's hope. Mm -hmm. The big catch guy. I can't understand why he's not. He may not have the stats that some of the other guys do, but doesn't substance count for something in this world? Yeah. And you would be hard put to find a pass catcher of that time or any other time whose career had more substance, big catches, touchdowns, third down conversions, just whatever you want to put under that heading. Whenever you need a play to be made, time and time again, they went to him. Time and time again, he got open. Time and time again, he made the catch. If that's not a Hall of Famer, I don't know what is. It's it's funny how it's like caught on with him, you know, just like social media wise with how he, what he said about the Cowboys before he n- announced that Chidobia Wuzier pick. Like it's just it totally took on a thing where like now players are all trying to go up there and talk about their f- former franchise before they make a draft pick because Drew Pearson like totally changed that game. Like he is one of the most interesting guys whenever he talks. Wears his emotions on his sleeve, like how upset he was that he didn't get in this past year. It does appear that he is going to finally get in. Um, but yeah, no, I, I obviously think he's he's deserving. But one one of the things that, that I think is is funny because this would again blow up on social media if this happened today is that I was watching like a, a playback of of Roger Staubach going over with Peyton Manning going over like the Hail Mary game, and there's a pass right before it to set up the Hail Mary. Oh yeah, Roger hits. Drew, right on the sideline, a great yes, play. Like, yes. it just gets totally forgot. <laughs> Drew falls to the ground, and a security guard on the sidelines in Minnesota kicks Drew when he's on the ground. Yes. Like, you had to, like, zoom in. It just is bizarre. I'm just like, if that happens today, that is, like, the biggest deal. And it just kind of, like, tossed away. Like, oh, yeah. And Roger's like, yeah, we remember it. It was just whatever. <laughs> Man, I remember seeing that on live TV and just going, the <laughs> hell? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, we'll move on. And um, next on the list is Cliff Harris. I kind of already talked about him. We can skip over him when going into the hall this year and mainstay of that doomsday defense. Uh, next is Demarcus Ware, 13. D Ware. You can have this one, Johnny. Just a really good player. Has been for a long time. No, that's what Jason Garadoy said. Um, yeah, amazing. I, I was really happy for him that he went to Denver and got a Super Bowl because that was the only thing missing. I mean, he did everything on the field that you you could want. It was almost like he was the defensive version. Uh, he's more talented than Tony Romo, but he was almost the defensive version of Tony Romo where you're just like, only thing missing is that he's got to take this team to the next level. And, and that, that didn't happen in Dallas, but fortunately for him, he went to Denver and, and got that ring. So, yeah, he's a no-brainer, Hall of Famer. Uh, just a, a dominant pass rusher in any era. Uh, yeah, I, not enough good things I can say about DeMarcus Ware. Good guy in the locker room. Always enjoyed talking to him. Uh, yeah, any team would kill to have a DeMarcus Ware. Concur with all of that. Yeah. Crazy thing is that Bill Parcells wanted Marcus Spears over him. They end up getting Marcus Spears, too, anyway, later on in that draft. But, 
it's crazy how they almost didn't take DeMarcus Ware there because he certainly wouldn't have been left for them later on with their second pick, but uh, it all worked out. The guy from Troy. So. Who won that fight? Jerry. Oh, really? <laughs> of course. Yeah. He, you know, he's the only one who could trump Bill. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, I, remember, I always think about DeMarcus Ware, that game um, in New Orleans when they went and beat the Saints, yeah. and he got hurt the week before, didn't know if he was going to play, he ends up making the – the game clinching sack at the end of the game. And yeah, super awesome that he actually did get a Super Bowl eventually because he deserved it. And um, that should, that should cement his, his um, gold jacket. All right. Jason Witten, number 12, cowboy of all time. I thought he might be higher on this list. Surprised he's not. Great pass catching tight end. Maybe the greatest pass catching tight end I've ever seen. Wow. Yeah, I'm not surprised that, you know, I think he's I think a lot of Cowboys fans would probably put him in their in their top ten. Uh but again, like the Ware and Romo thing, you know, if you don't win a Super Bowl for the Dallas Cowboys, you know, it holds you back because of so many of these greats that I mean, everybody we're going through now, it's like we're all getting into Hall of Famers yeah. and guys that have won, you know, multiple rings and uh that's the yeah. only thing that was missing for him. Like I I mean, he's just on even a higher legendary standard if, if they would have gotten them to a Super Bowl. And that's why he came back from that broadcasting booth because he knows that that's the only thing missing. And I'm sure in, in a part of him wants to do the DeMarcus Ware thing and, and, and get that ring because that's the only thing that's missing from you know his resume. I'm still shocked he plays on the effing Raiders, man. I can't. <laughs> I never, never thought Jason Witten would put on another helmet. And if he did... It just shows you how... And that just shows you how obsessed he is still with football. I don't think he wanted his legacy to end that way either. I think he wanted his legacy to be always a Dallas Cowboy. There's Mm -hmm. no question about that. But I think he loves playing the game more. Um, Bob Hayes next on the list. Bullet Bob. A game breaker like few we've ever seen. Nobody can keep up with him. I mean, for him, it was just ball snapped, take off. Outrun everybody, but the thing about him was he could catch it too. He could go yeah. get it and he could catch it. Now he was kind of a one-trick pony, but that trick was a pretty good one. I wonder what his forty-yard dash was. Yeah, I, I've looked it up before. I can't find it, but I think they do sixty-yard because I believe it, it. That was I've seen a sixty-yard split and it blows. It's five Kareem two. Hunt he runs away. a five two sixty. Is what it said. Blows Kareem Hunt away because I got an argument with some people about how about Bob Hayes and saying how like this guy didn't have like NFL speed. He had world class like speed. He had like Olympic sprinter speed. This isn't like like with Kareem Hunt. It's like like they look at because I feel like everybody thinks all athletes as you get older, bigger, faster, stronger. You know, as the game progresses. But like Bob Hayes had like ridiculous speed, world class sprinter type speed. Like he's fast in any generation. You know, he's going to, he would be perfect for that way the Kansas City Chiefs play right now. That's amazing. He was once clocked at, at a 5 2, 60 yard dash. 60 yard dash. 5 yeah. 2. Yeah, I couldn't run a 5 2 40. He was the world's fastest human. That's incredible. Yeah. And that's amazing. You know, it's certainly different times now, Mike. Um, but. Landry just taking chances on like Olympians and stuff back then. Just like we need athletes. I don't care. You know, he was an outside the box thinker. Yeah. 
Yeah, didn't they draft Carl Lewis? I think it was like in the like the late rounds. Yeah, it was like in the yeah they did. Like they that. did, and but he never. Rico gathers, you know, yeah. just pure athletes. You know, everybody no. has this conception that Landry was a real, you know, conservative, by-the-book guy, and he was anything but. You know, he was an outside-the-box thinker of a very high order. Okay, now we're getting into the top ten. These are all pretty much uh, Canton guys already. So, number ten, Rayfield Wright. Is he better than uh, Tyron Smith to you, Mike, or Zach Martin? Yeah, I would say so. I would say so. Nice. The big cat was the original number seventy. Yeah, the big cat was just a singular offensive tackle. Really, for most of us around here, we only had a slight idea of what offensive tackles, offensive tackle play was about till he showed up, hmm. and he showed us. He could have played tight end too. Yeah, for an article we we wrote on the Athletic. Uh, Howard Mudd, who just passed away recently, yeah. um, who l- played, you know, back in those times and then also went on. He was a longtime offensive line coach, like on those Colts teams of Peyton Manning. Mm-hmm. He said there was no question. Rayfield Wright's the best, you know, offensive tackle that the Cowboys have ever had. You know, better than Tyron Smith, better than any of those other guys. He did say, though, that Eric Williams, if he would have kept playing, that it could have been him if he didn't get hurt. But, yeah, no, Rayfield Wright, I don't think there's any question he's the best offensive lineman the Cowboys have ever had. Number nine, running back Tony Dorsett. Touchdown, Tony. Game breaker. 99 yards. That was, one, that was one of many. You know, I mean, I'm sure you're watching Tony Dorsett. With 10 Mike. men on the field, no less. Yeah, there you go. I'm sure watching Tony Dorsett, Mike, you probably thought there's never going to be a, a running back as good as this guy come through here again. <laughs> And, no, uh, you know, right no. after that, it ended up happening. But, um, yeah, what a great player. I just, at those times, I would think that, you know, Steelers fans and Cowboys fans probably didn't like each other very much. And it was just interesting to hear Mike McCarthy, you know, a guy from Pittsburgh, uh, talk about how during those times, like, Tony Dorsett being a pit guy going to the Cowboys, there were people in Pittsburgh that would root for the Cowboys because they just love Tony Dorsett so much. And that was in a, obviously a very hardcore Steelers town. So I always, I find that very interesting. He was a controversial guy while he was here too, because he would speak his mind and he and Landry bumped heads yeah, pretty severely a few times. All right. Well, I'll keep going down the list. Stop me. If you want to comment. number eight. The playmaker, Michael Irvin. Deserving. Boy. Number eight. I see what they did there. DallasCowboys.com. I see that. The eights. Yeah. Um, I mean. Yeah, no argument there. there. Mel Renfro ahead of him at number seven. Cornerback. Could have been a great running back. Could have been a great kick returner. Yeah. But instead, he turned into a shutdown corner, and he was the best of his time. You talk about uh, Everson Walls having 44 picks. Renfro had 52. <laughs> That's ridiculous. That gets overlooked. 52 picks. That gets overlooked. <laughs> That's insane. Jeez. Granted, they were playing Just, when nobody was throwing the ball and quarterbacks couldn't throw like Patrick Mahomes. But uh, Well, it's, uh, that, that makes it all the more incredible that he had yeah. 52 picks at a time when they weren't slinging it around. Didn't have that many opportunities. actually true. Well, there you go. Um, the other thing is that his haircut just makes him look so much older than yeah, what he really is. Yeah, like, uh, 
He he looks like he's like fifty, and that not guy's in the prime. Not a lot of airplugs happening in the nineteen seventies, unfortunately. Um, Randy White next on the list. The Manster. Manster. Um, boy, he exemplified toughness. He exemplified toughness, but he played linebacker in college. And they toyed with the idea of making him a linebacker. In fact, they might have used him in, in some of his early games at linebacker hmm. before deciding that his place was at defensive tackle. And for a long time, he was a rather smallish defensive tackle. But that's where he found his place, and his place was like nobody else of his time. One of the greats. Yeah, so – so many of these guys that we're getting to now, it just shows you how just how loaded the Cowboys franchise has been. To have a guy like Randy White be number six, that just I mean, that's crazy. I think he'd yeah. be a lot higher for, for most There are a lot of franchises where he'd be number one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the top five is really stacked. Number five, maybe the best of his position ever, Larry Allen. Hard to quantify because most people don't have an acute appreciation of what those guys are doing in there yeah so you kind of have to go on by what people tell you and what people told you told you about larry allen was that an afternoon trying to contain him was just brutal yeah i remember the another broadest story of he was in green bay at the time when they were drafting larry allen and one of their scouts or whoever was leading their draft took him off their board because he had a knee a knee issue and brought us remembered like trying to convince him like no i think i think we need to take a flyer on this guy and that every time they played the cowboys after that and brought us would say to the uh green bay guy see that guy c73 remember him remember us not drafting him he's gonna kick our ass today you know because <laughs> of that knee remember that knee how that knee's gonna kick our ass you know so yeah. knee seems to be holding up gosh you think about being a team that just say no we're good and then he ends up being the greatest ever at the position it's gotta feel bad but yeah yeah i think i misspoke earlier when i said rayfield Wright was the best offensive line the cowboys had he was the best offensive, offensive tackle, tackle yeah. yeah larry allen's clearly the best offensive lineman but uh it is wild that yeah his best spot was guard but he went out and played tackle, and he was good there, too. Yeah, for sure. yeah, he made Pro Bowls in multiple positions, too. Um, all right, here we go. I think this is pretty obvious what the top players are. Uh, no particular order, but the order of the DallasCowboys.com has them in is number four, Troy Aikman, number three, Emmett Smith, number two, Bob Lilly, and number one, Roger Staubach. And uh, I've seen a lot of lists with Lilly at number one, but I think, you know, Roger being the quarterback – uh, probably gives him the edge. Well, Roger was the first one to lead the Cowboys to their manifest destiny. Yeah. And that definitely counts for something. Um, I think Roger off the field also plays into that in the minds of most people, as well it should, because Roger is just an incredible guy in every way you can possibly imagine. Mm -hmm. But he was a consummate leader, great player. He could bring the team back when things looked hopeless. Um, when there was a big play that need to, needed to be made, you could count on him to make it. And he was singular for me. 
I have no problem with that. No disrespect to any of those others, but no issue with that. Yeah, I, I, I obviously didn't see Bob Lilly or Roger Staubach play live, but from what I have seen and, and obviously been around with them after their playing career, I, uh, I completely agree with both of those. And Roger is like, it's amazing. Like he's like a guy that could be like president of the United yeah, States. He could, like he, if that's what he wanted to do. Yeah. I, I just, I, I don't, I don't know that there's a person that could say a bad word about Roger Staubach. He just seems like he's just gracious, good dude to everybody. Nobody would just, dare. Like, yeah. Like he just a great, like just all American dude that got to quarterback the Dallas Cowboys, the Super Bowls, was in the Navy, uh, you know, won a Heisman trophy. Uh, just, I mean, a legend in every sense. So yeah, I have no problem with him being number one. And I know that there are people getting arguments about if it's, if he's better or Troy, because Troy won more Super Bowls or whatever, but, uh, it's hard to argue against Roger Staubach. Well, there you go. 60 years of Cowboys football, 60 players and a mega sized podcast here with the one and only Mike Reiner. Yes, that is a mega-sized square one. Hope everybody enjoyed that. We will do it again very soon. Mm-hmm.